Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Today on the PR Moment Podcast, I'm talking to George Coleman, co-founder and CEO at Cunt Global. Current Global has just launched a commitment that every piece of communication it develops, curates or publishes on behalf of the clients or or indeed of the firm will meet the highest accessibility standards. For those of you that are not aware, Current Global is owned by Interpublic and has offices in Europe, America and Asia, and it employs around 200 people. Thanks as ever to the PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. George, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ben. Um... Now, just talk to me about this uh, accessible communication um, project that you've been involved on. And that's what I guess we're going to talk about in some depth. But first of all, um, it's quite a personal story for you, isn't it? Um, just tell us why it's it's a topic that's so close to your heart. Yeah, it very much is. Um, so I grew up in a, in a household um, where my father was deaf. Um, his twin brother, coincidentally, is also deaf. Um, so from my very youngest ages, you know, communication uh, was always a bit of a struggle. Um, when you think of those family moments where you're sharing moments where um, you, you, know, you come home from school and you want to share a bit of news about something you've done, it's just a challenge. Um, but as a family, we always made the effort. That's kind of what you do. Um, but I was always very aware um, of the importance of communications. And that's something I've always taken forward with me and obviously ended up in a, in a career um, that's all about communications. I've always had this desire to make sure that everything that we do reaches people of all ability. And, and I was really grounded in those in those formative years. And just thinking about that, did you, I mean, did you use, how did you communicate with, with your dad? Was it, was it sign language? What did you tend to do? To do? How, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, he, his deafness was a, was a progressive thing. Um, so it got increasingly worse um, o- over the years. Um, so we, we tended to um, uh, rely most on lip reading um, uh, because he had that experience of hearing. Um, that was the easiest way that he could um, understand what we were, we were saying. Um, I did learn a bit of sign language. Um, you know, which was helpful to a degree. Um, but yeah, it's it mainly lip reading. And, and, I, and I think it is easier for people that have had um, that experience of hearing before to be able to do that. Um, and my uncle actually similarly did the, did the same thing. Um, but as, a, the, as they got older, we increasingly rely on technology. Um, certainly, obviously, I'm not at home all the time. So um, if there are things that my parents need me to do, if my father has something that he'd like me to help him with, then typically we'll use technology to communicate. Um, and, and that's a very effective way for us to, to get things done. Um, particularly, say, even just simple things like um, booking a flu jab. You know, he can't pick up the phone. So he'll text me and then I'll, I'll ring the doctor's surgery and make the appointment for him. Um, so email, text and, and so forth. So the way we communicate has evolved over time and, and certainly evolved as technology has enabled us to communicate in different ways. The advent of the internet and the speed at which technology has evolved 
um, you know, that, that I think has been really transformative for most people um, who have a, have a disability because the, the technology is developed. It allows you to access content in new ways. It's built into uh, modern browsers, for example. So if you go into a website, you can use that browser to convert text into speech. It helps you understand if you have a visual impairment, what images are on screen. Um, you can add captions to video and, and much more. So as the technology has progressed, it's become easier and easier to consume content if you have an, an impairment. The, the real sort of challenge is making sure you're designing that content in the first place to be accessible through those technologies. So it's, it's something that in my lifetime has, has got significantly better. Um, and as, as these technologies improved, you've seen um, standards evolve. Um, so the uh, World Wide Web Consortium produced a, uh, a bunch of standards around accessibility um, for people who design websites, build web content and so forth. So it's really the combination of the technology and the standards developing in parallel. But I remember when I first started in PR, um, you know, we had one email for the entire office. <laughs> so um, it's certainly come a, a long way in the, in the past 20 years. Um, back then, it would have been incredibly difficult to do what we're able to do now and to do really simply and at virtually no cost as well. So just give us a few examples. I, mean, I, I know there are numerous, too, too many to name, but a few examples of the, the, the technology that we, we, is available to us on a sort of daily basis that, that helps with, with, with making communication so much more accessible. Yeah, so um, perhaps the most important one um, is um, the tools that are already built into Microsoft Office products. So um, in, in every product, Obviously, you'd be very familiar with spell check, um, but there's also accessibility checker. So if you look in PowerPoint, you look in Word, uh, you can go on and click uh, that tool and it will analyze your document and tell you or uh, give you suggestions on how you can adapt your content to make it more accessible. And often those are really small changes. It could be the use of headings. It could be the way you've laid out text. It could be, for example, in a PowerPoint, there's an image. And with that image, there's a thing called alt text, which is a, a description of what is in that image, um, which you can go in and you can manually edit and put in a full description. So that when someone is consuming that content using um, PowerPoint, they're able to uh, get that full description. So it's a much richer experience for them. So in Office, you know, we should be using accessibility checker as much as we instinctively use spell check um, when we... Uh, and that then means what? So when that content is potentially uploaded to the internet, presumably there's another tool that comes from the other side, is there? Does that, does that, how does it work? Um, to, to a degree, yes. I mean, um, once you've published that content, then different technology will be used to consume it. But the, the alt text example is a very good one. Um, if you go on to um, uh, Facebook and you do a post, um, so I like taking my dog for a walk around the Surrey Hills and I often post a picture of the view from the top of the hill. If you go in and edit your post, you'll see that you're actually able to edit that alternative um, text for that image. Um, and, and that's really interesting because the, the technology uh, uses AI or machine learning to try and interpret what that image is. 
but it's never as good as your own personal description. So Facebook will provide that tool, but you can go in and make that experience better by manually editing the description of that, of that image. And that for me is a perfect illustration of what we're trying to do here. There are tools, there are technology, most of them free to use. Um, all of the social platforms have various different accessibility tools, but it's the way you design the content and the way you uh, adapt your workflows and processes. So in, this, in that particular example, you know, some manual editing will be required to make it more accessible. Um, for things like video, it's about making sure that you have a captions file that you upload with the video, which then allows any um, technology, any browser um, to then find that uh, caption file and, and then engage with it. So it's, it's a combination of all of these things. It's understanding what technology is there, understanding how you need to design to make use of those, uh, those technology features, and then building that into your workflows and, and processes. So it's a, it's a combination of all of those things. But really, the, the, the technology is so mature now that there is nothing that uh, is holding us back from doing this other than just uh, changing the way that we work. And as I've said, in the most instance, um, those changes are very small, very incremental. A bit of a heavier lift, perhaps, on some of the richer content forms, especially where you're, say, producing video. But on the most part, it's just really simple. And, and the way I like to think about it is, um, you know, growing up in PR, um, uh, we we're always taught to um, internalize the economist style guide, you know, for, for the way you write, uh, the way you use certain nouns. Um, you know, if it's a number under 10, you write it as a word rather than as numbers. And really what we need to do is just internalize those very simple accessibility requirements so it becomes second nature in the work that we do. Um, so for us, in, in terms of us launching this, this client offer and commitment, that's really been the focus, has really been on our people. How do we bring them up to speed? And, and uh, I was going to say, what, what, what process have you gone through then uh, to, to, I suppose, what was it about? Is it ensuring the workflows and systems that are, are in place? Is, it, is, that, is that kind of what you've, if you have a, a, you had a blank piece of paper at some point with this project <laughs> and you had to, to, to build it up, what, what sort of specifics have you gone through? Yeah, so, we, so we've done this in done this in uh, in stages. So the first stage was to look at all of the different guidelines um, out there and understand which of those guidelines apply to the work that we do. So through communications, we're essentially addressing uh, four types of disability: vision, hearing, cognition, and speech. And so we looked at all of those different standards and looked at how they may apply to the different forms of work that we do. We then did an assessment of all of the tools uh, that are available to either help us build that content or for people to consume that content. Um, from there, that, that kind of formed our, our core toolkit. From there, it was really then about changing uh, the way that we approached our work. So the behavior of our employees uh, in, in addition to the workflows and processes. So there we started by having um, what we called accessibility champions in each of our offices uh, around all the different regions. And these are people who volunteered that had a passionate connection um, uh, to, to this particular um, initiative. And they helped us then roll that out to all of the teams. So we did meetings, we did presentations, we went through all of our 
workflows um, and, and processes and, and adapted them accordingly. We produce checklists. So every time we start a, uh, a new piece of work, thinking about a new piece of content or a new campaign, that checklist sets us off in the, in the right direction from the get-go. So we're really designing purposefully from right at the beginning how we're going to build accessibility in throughout the way through to, through to delivery of that particular project. And how long are those checklists? I mean, is, are, they, are they five points? Are they 50 points? I mean, I'm sure there's a bit of variety <laughs> there, but the variation, I should say, there. But is that, you know, how, how big are undertaking for people is this, is this type of stuff? So, so our checklist is around 30 bullet points. Um, for, for some of the um, things that you have to do, some of the tasks, there is uh, a deeper set of, of uh, things that you have to consider that go beyond that checklist. But if you think about our day-to-day -day job, um, most of the work that we do is relatively simple forms of content. So on the most part, those changes are really, really incremental. And I said that the, the biggest win is simply to get everyone to instinctively use accessibility checker in office no. that actually will help us produce the vast majority of our content to the right kind of standards right. um and it's it's quite interesting though because the i mean there's lots of reasons for doing this but i mean a lot of the things you've just been talking about are, are good practice anyway aren't they i mean for, they're going to help from a from a search perspective as one if you're if you're tagging images correctly there'll be a search benefit anyway we should all be putting um subtitles on videos anyway shouldn't we so it's not it's not like this stuff in many ways a lot of this stuff should be been doing any should be done anyway i guess shouldn't it? <laughs> well i certainly feel so and uh, you know as i said there's no real barrier for anyone being able to do this and and certainly we hope by making this commitment ourselves that we can inspire and instigate uh, change more broadly across the industry um but the focus really has to be on training your people and making sure, as I said, in, in embedding the right behaviors, the right approaches to designing campaigns and content from the get-go. That, that's the biggest lift um, because, you know, we all form our habits about the way that we work. Um, so even small changes, you know, just takes a little bit of practice for people to get used to. But we hope as we do more of this, then it just becomes second nature and, and people won't even think about it. But I do think you're right. You know, producing better content, better design content, that's more inclusive is just a good thing anyway. Um, and certainly where we've uh, applied these standards to our client work, we've seen no uh, impact in terms of the quality or the creativity of the work that we can do. Um, so from, from our perspective, it's not, it's not really um, uh, something that we, we look at and think about it adding constraints, quite the opposite. And I think when you start designing to be inclusive, Actually, in many ways, I think that probably makes you a little bit more creative because you have more parameters to, to work around and that can spark ideas and thinking in different ways and thinking about how you deliver your message through different formats. Again, from my early years in, in PR, we often talked about the medium is the message. Well, when you're thinking uh, in, in a sort of or using design thinking, certainly around accessibility, then that encourages more of that kind of approach. So I think ultimately you know, it will help us perhaps be a time a little bit more creative in, in some of the work that we do. And, and that's only going to be a good thing. And a couple of quick thoughts. I mean, you said that the checklist had about 30 bullet points. I don't expect you to, 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 to remember them all, but, what, you know, what sort of stuff are we talking about? I get the, the, the accessibility checker in Word. 
the um the tagging of images what, what, are, what just for example you know a couple of other things that, that are on that checklist yeah so so when you think about people with um cognitive disability um so it's estimated around 200 million people worldwide have some form of cognitive disability then you know the the changes we need to make is, is thinking about the use of language you know removing jargon um, it's about things like when you are wanting to hyperlink rather than saying click here with the, the hyperlink on here, it's actually hyperlinking the operative word in that sentence. So it's just small adjustments that help people with cognitive uh, impairment to actually access this, that content. Um, or another good example is uh, for visual impairment and the use of color contrast. Um, and that's really important for the way they're able to uh, consume graphics or images and so forth. And there is a free tool that you can download that's provided by Microsoft that actually analyzes the color contrast for you and gives it a score. And if you're below a certain score, then you should really go back and, and redesign it and use a different set of colors. So they, these are the small things that we need to do in order to make that, that content uh, accessible alongside things that we've already discussed, like the use of all text, uh, captioning, and so forth. Right. Okay. Um, I just, I'm sure you'll know this now, but the, 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 presumably there are, well, there are obvious moral and ethical reasons for making this change, right? But presumably mm. there's also a pretty big commercial one, is there? I mean, this is not a small market for brands we're talking about here, is it? <laughs> no. So um, approximately 15% or one in eight of the world's population has some form of disability. Some of that may be obvious, some of it may be hidden, but, but that's a significant um, group of people. Um, and even when you break that down a little bit further into the forms of uh, disability that we're addressing through communications, the numbers are still huge. So, 20, uh, so 285 million people of all ages have some form of visual impairment. 466 million people have uh, disabling hearing loss. 200 million people have a cognitive impairment. You know, about 18 and a half uh, million people have a speech, voice, or, or language disorder. Is this, you know, this is, is this globally? We're talking um, globally, yeah. So, so that is a, a significant um, audience, and collectively, um, people with disabilities have a, a combined purchasing power of about eight trillion dollars. So, if you're excluding that audience by default or by design, then, you know, that, that has commercial implications for, for our clients. So not only do we think it's morally the right thing to do, and it's certainly in our power to make these changes, but it makes real commercial sense for our clients too. And I, and I think that's important because I think when we, when we uh, think about instigating change across our industry, it's that combination of the, 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 the moral aspect and the commercial aspect that will help uh, fuel and drive that change hopefully uh, quickly. One of the things I really like about this is that you're you're not going to attempt to keep this um, as your own sort of secret source, are you? You're going to share this best practice um, and processes with the wider communication sector. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, we, we've started with ourselves. Um, you know, we, we've gone through this process that, that I've talked to you, and, and it's been a real learning curve for us. And we've, we've come out at the end of this process with a better understanding of how to do these things. 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to claim we're going to be perfect from the get-go, but um, you know we, we've certainly made huge strides, and and I've seen the transformation in our work. But we we want this to be something that uh, uh, it becomes an industry standard. So we're, we're already in talks with the PRCA um, here in the UK, and also the PR Council in the US, um, and we're we're talking to them about a potential partnership um, where we co-develop. The guidelines and the standards, um, and potentially even training programs to help any communicator in-house agency side to be able to apply these standards to the work that they do. You know, we feel it's just it's just the right thing um, for us, for our clients, and and for the industry as a whole to make these positive changes. And as no I keep saying, one of the things you said was the behavior change internally was quite that was the toughest thing you had to overcome was it um we're just thinking about when if other people take on those those mm. changes and try and implement those changes what do they um what, what, what was that it's, I mean, it's one of those things i would have thought clearly people are going to want to do it aren't they so, but was there mm. a was there a something you had to overcome to to, to make people um, apply it, I suppose, especially as everyone's working remotely currently. Did that have an extra layer of complication? Or um, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't think that the remote uh, working has been so much of a challenge. I think I think where it's probably been a little bit tougher is for our content teams. So the teams that produce rich content for the web, video, apps, whatever. Um, so for those teams that, that that work, are very used to working in a studio environment, it probably is a little bit more challenging. Um, but for the vast majority of people, it's, it's simply a process of education. And and in and we found that, you know, we, we, we've spent quite a few months on that part of the, the process. So thinking very carefully about what is the cadence of communication, making sure we have those accessibility champions in place, making sure that we had the regular meetings, presentations. We made sure that, um, you know, if, if one of our uh, markets was doing an all-hands meeting, that we were presenting this on that all-hands meeting. So, you know, in the first instance, it was very much about raising internal awareness about what we're doing and why, um, followed then by a program of making sure that we're educating the teams and then troubleshooting where uh, people said, well, <clears throat> You know, I'm developing this piece of content. Um, I've looked at all the standards. Is there something that's going to help me to do this? Um, so we we sort of look at this as a living, breathing thing. And that as we go, we'll continually update and refresh um, the the toolkit that we have. Um, and, and and you see that externally with it with the standards that we um, are working to. That they're often not very static things. Um, so it's is going to be a case of constantly updating. So sure. at, at this point, we're, we're ready to tell the outside world what we're doing, but it's certainly not the end. It's it's in our view just the beginning. And um, if people listening want to um, want, want to get more information and things like that, we'll include it in the show notes. But go on, just just tell us where they can if they, if they want to try and apply some of this stuff. Where do they? Where is there's there's some more information? I'm sure. Um, <laughs> well, that, that, that's uh, part of the challenge is that a lot of the elements of the standards we work to um, sit in so many different places. But um, certainly for online uh, content, I'd recommend going to uh, the W3C website and looking for the web content accessibility guidelines. Uh, and that's a real treasure trove of, of information. 
um, uh, about how to design content, <clears throat> how to do things like captioning and video and, and, and so forth. So that, that's a really good starting point. Um, <clears throat> and then in, in different countries, obviously you have different institutions that work with um, people with disability um, that publish their own guidelines too. And, and, and that may vary from country to country. So I, I would suggest start with the W3C and, and work from there. But you know, certainly our aim going into early next year is um, to start to make some of these um, uh, standards or package some of these standards up with the PRCA and others to make them accessible so everyone has them in one place. Well, that'd be, um, uh, we'll certainly do, we'll, we'll, we'll get you back on the show when that's, <laughs> when those are ready, George, and you can, um, you can come and uh, talk to us all about them. Um, George Coleman, uh, co-founder, I should say, and CEO at Current Global. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.